anticipate receiving a crown from the Lord when you stand before His judgment seat? Hello again, friends. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and welcome back to Encounter God's Truth with Bible scholar Dr. John Whitcomb. We're right in the middle of a short series on Bible prophecy called Our Glorious Future in Christ. And today, we're looking at the judgment of believers, which will take place in heaven following the rapture of the church. The Apostle Paul said of that awesome event, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Dr. Whitcomb will inform and motivate us today so that we may present to the Lord gold, silver, and precious stones, and not wood, hay, and stubble. If you've missed either of the first two messages in this series, remember that you can always listen to them again at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. But right now, if you're able, please turn with us to James chapter 1 as we resume this important study. Friends, I invite you to join me in a great venture to discover the amazing things that will happen just after the rapture of the church, the resurrection of Christian dead. It is called the Bema, the Judgment Throne of Christ. I've tried to explain what that is going to be like in my newest book called The Rapture and Beyond. What, what is this that we're going to face? We're not going to be unconscious, no. We'll be very much more conscious than we are now of who we are, what we've done, what we said, why we did it, all these things that will come to light. The New Testament warns us, be very careful. Don't let anybody deprive you of the crown that you might have. Like Colossians 2.18, let no one keep defrauding of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he is inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, etc., and I say, Lord, what, what do you mean by this? What, what is this crown? Well, listen to what James said, the half-brother of Jesus, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive what? The crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Even more startling, I think, is what the Apostle John said, aged Apostle John, to his disciples. First John Verse 28 of chapter 2. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence, now listen, and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. You mean that's a possibility for a believer? Oh, yes, there's something coming at the judgment throne of Christ that we need to know about. Uh, Listen to what God said in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2, to the suffering church at Smyrna. Listen to this. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Now listen, be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. My, what's that? Well, it was something worth living for, even worth dying for. You know, hold fast what you have, God said to that church in Philadelphia, that no one may take your crown, Revelation 3.11. And uh, I say now, really? Yes, watch yourselves, Second John 8 that you might receive a full reward, a full reward. Well, you know, Paul thought it was, it, it was definitely worth striving for to have that crown. His last words to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is later for me a what? A crown of righteousness. And not for me only, but also for all who have loved his appearing. Thank you, Lord, for those statements. Now, you know what it's based on, don't you? In those days, Paul was aware of the Olympic Games. 
And we've in recent times seen the Olympics in China and in London. And, and Paul alludes to that, doesn't he, with regard to, to obtaining a prize. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. The prize. You have to keep the rules to win the prize. Now, friends, just stop and think a minute. God has given us all these promises, these goals, to do what? To motivate us to self-control and to the correct direction in which we're to move for God on this earth. That's how he designed the human race, every human being, to be motivated by the possibility of receiving a reward. I was raised in the military. My father was a chief of staff in the Third Army under General Patton in the Second World War. And friends, I heard so much about promotions and, and uh, you know, you're, you're a, a lieutenant or a captain or you have won a medal or a ribbon or something for faithfulness and service. What would happen to our military system if there were no rewards, no promotions, uh, no signs or marks of appreciation for, for diligence, for, for bravery, for courage? It, it would fall apart. Uh, what about our educational systems, in our, even our grade schools? high schools, colleges, universities, if there was no prize at the end of the line for faithfulness, for diligence, for, for uh, uh, it would be the whole thing would fall apart if no grades are given, no recognition, no honors. That would be true in industry. What would happen if there's no promotions for faithfulness, for diligence, for skill? That's the way God has designed, friend, the whole human race. And I say, thank you, Lord. I begin to see something I hadn't thought about before. When the church is raptured, the first thing that will be happening to us is to be presented before Jesus Christ at the judgment throne of Christ. We'll not be completely purified of the power and presence of sin until that moment, immediately following resurrection rapture. All right, now, what does that mean then? What does it really mean? Well, all Christians, every born-again Christian who's, who's ever lived in the last 2,000 years, man, woman, and child, will be there. Careful now, not for salvation, that's all settled. This is for Christians only, but for examination and for gain or loss of what? Rewards. Really? Think of it now. Romans 14.10 For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. That's each Christian. You say, I didn't realize that. I thought we'd all be perfect and everybody would be happy. For... No, wait a minute now. Careful here. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or what? Or bad, worthless. Something will be brought to light. By the way, we'll all be in total agreement with what Jesus says will be sinless. We won't demand a higher court to review the examination results. We'll, we'll agree 100% with what Jesus says about us. And it, it, it is a little bit heavy, isn't it? First Peter 4.17 For it is time for judgment to begin to the household of God. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what shall the end be of those that know not the Lord? And I say, Lord, you got my attention. You really did. What is the judgment seat of Christ going to be like? All right, friends. Now, all the facts concerning our Christian character and conduct will be revealed by fire. Oh, no, 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 this is not purgatory, folks. This is for people who already are glorified in heaven. 
Well, then what does this uh, reveal by fire mean? Well, it just shows you that God knows exactly what he's doing. Hebrews 12.29, our God is a consuming fire. He cannot tolerate in his presence any unconfessed sin. Revelation 1.14, his eyes are like a flame of fire. He can see in the dark, he can see our inner heart. You remember Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing a soul and spirit and joint and marrow. Discerner of what? The thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, especially, especially, friends, we see all of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where we discover that God's judgment of his people will be profoundly different from the way we evaluate people today. Listen to this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. According to the grace of God, verse 10, which is given to me, says Paul, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. I mean, he started the church at Corinth. And another is building upon it, speaking of Apollos, his fellow worker. But each one, now listen, let each man be careful how he builds upon it, not just in ministry, like starting a church, but our whole Christian life, no matter who we are, man, woman, and child. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So these are believers now. Now, keep that in mind. This is only born-again people here. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, oh, how wonderful, many a Christian that we've never even heard of will be so honored because they have done a work for the Lord that is faithful, diligent, and God-honoring. But sad to say, many Christians, can I dare suggest the majority of Christians, will be sad to present just wood, hay, and stubble, or straw, which will be vulnerable to the fire of God's evaluation. Because each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be real with fire. And the fire itself shall test the quality of each man's work. Now what's what's going to happen? Careful here. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward, a crown. If any man's work is burned up. Now notice he's not burned up. Careful here. This is not purgatory. If any man's work is burned up. He shall suffer loss, but, are you ready for this? He himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Amazing. The Bema, the judgment throne of Christ. That has to happen, friends. Millions of Christians have served diligently, faithfully, almost unknown, died for their faith, martyrs. That will all be brought to light. Some have been lazy, self-centered, materialistic, compromising the truth of God, heretical in doctrines. That will be brought to light. And I say, now, Lord, help me to understand what this, what this means so I'll be more motivated than ever before to be faithful and do your work, your way, for your glory. Now, folks, just stop and think. That judgment will be so different than human courts or judges on this earth who can only judge by what they see now, what God said about this is a little bit sobering. Luke twelve forty seven, Jesus said, That slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in, accordant, in accord with his will shall receive many lashes. Now, here's the hard one. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. You say, wait a minute. Why does he receive any? 
because he is culpable, responsible for not finding out what the, what the master's will is. That's what we call willful ignorance. Now listen to this. This is different too. According to the motives of the heart will be evaluated by Jesus. Really? Yes, listen to Luke eight seventeen. For nothing is hidden that shall not become evident, nor anything secret that shall not be known and come to light. Jesus will specialize in the secret things of our heart. Why we did what we did, why we said what we did, our motives, our evaluation of people and situations under him, for him. Listen to Romans 2.16. God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. How about 1 Corinthians 4.5? The one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness. See how he specializes in things he can see in the dark, folks. And disclose the motives of men's heart, not just what we said or did, but why we did it. Uh, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. You know, this, this applies to so many things in our Christian. Why, why, why do I go to church on Sunday morning? Is it really, truly to worship the Lord or just to see our friends? What's our real reason? You say, Lord, I'm, I'm a little bit frightened to think about that. The things I do that I claim are Christian things in my study of the Bible, my time of prayer, witnessing, attending church services, what is my motive? To glorify you or not? Oh, my friends. And I say, I, I just need help. I really need help. But friends, there's a problem here that many have. You say, well, how can I be judged at the judgment seat of Christ if I have confessed my sin? Didn't John say in First John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if I have confessed my sin, then I don't have to confront Jesus at the, at the Bema, at the judgment throne, do I? Wait a minute. That's a totally different issue. Let me see if we can find the difference. Are you careful now with this? Be careful. Second Samuel chapter 12, God confronted King David for the awful crime he had committed in killing one of his faithful generals in order to have his wife, Bathsheba. And for months, he refused to confess his sin until finally God sent him, the prophet Nathan, to confront him face to face. Listen to this, Second Samuel 12.1. Nathan came and said, There were two men in one city. The one was rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished and grew up with him and his children. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare the wafer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. What happened? David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die, and he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he has done this thing and had no compassion. Uh-oh, he's been set up for what? A confrontation right to his heart. Nathan said to David, You are the man. It is I who appointed you as king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. What have you, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your old household. 
What happened? David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said what? To David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Well, no, but, but, but wait a minute. Is that the end of it? No. However, verse 14, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. You see, he did confess his sin. You see, he was forgiven. But the consequences, the aftermath, the results of what he had done continues to this day when people blaspheme God for praying, supposedly uh, playing favorites with David in this situation. And friends, you see the difference in First John 1, 9? If we confess our sin, he'll forgive our sin. But the long-term effects of our sin, the damage we've created in our community, in our family, with other people, goes on and on. Nobody's going to say, well, that pastor sinned terribly, but he confesses sins so everything's fine. No, no. That is a very different matter entirely. Because a pastor, you remember, is to, is to do what? Is to have a good reputation with those outside the church, 1 Timothy 3, 7. God's reputation, you see, has been damaged. And I say, now I begin to see something here. At the judgment throne of Christ, the long-term effect of what we've done or what we didn't do, what we could have done and should have done and didn't do, will be brought to light to determine what? Whether we'll receive a crown. You say, well, I don't need a crown. I'll, at least I'll be in heaven, yes. But you see, that'll deprive you and me of being able to cast down our crown at the feet of Jesus to show our tremendous love, humility, appreciation to him for all he's done. Gold, silver, precious stones are works performed in love, in truth, and in purity. And I say, Lord, this calls for separation unto Christ right now, doesn't it, from all that's false and wicked in this world? Yes, John thirteen thirty five. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if what? If you have love for one another. Listen to Romans twelve nine. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor what's evil. Cleave to that which is good. And you all know 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love rejoices with the truth. With the truth. The truth of God is never to be sacrificed for so-called love. Philippians 1, 9. So Paul said to the Philippians, This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. Notice the kind of love here so that you may approve the things that are excellent. My, listen to what he said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9.25. Every man that strives for masteries is temperate in all things. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has light with darkness? Colossians 2.18. Let no man beguile you of your reward. Be faithful, be diligent, and on and on. And I say, Lord, all these things I understand now in a new way. It's not to gain salvation. That's all settled. It's to prepare us for what? For the judgment seat of Christ. So if we sin, we confess, like David did, and he wrote a whole psalm, you remember, Psalm 51. I deserve to die, Lord, but you saved me by your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And I say, Lord, I begin to see what I'm preparing for now, the judgment seat of Christ, where I'll be examined and evaluated and hopefully rewarded by a crown for his glory to cast down at his feet. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, friends, Endure hardness, Paul said. Don't have worldly entanglements. Compete according to the rules. Work hard. 2 Timothy 2, 15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does what? Not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, 16, Shun idle babblings, 
Depart from iniquity. Cleanse yourself from dishonorable things. Flee youthful lusts. 2 John 8 and 10. Watch yourselves, John said, that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward, because if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, God's word, God's truth, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. All these things, dear friends, add up to what? That we'll be evaluated favorably by Christ at the Bema for what we've done for his glory, not for us, that we might, whatever crown we may receive, we'll give to him in profound thankfulness and gratefulness forever. You've been listening to Encounter God's Truth. This weekly Bible teaching program is a production of Whitcomb Ministries, Incorporated. Please pray for our ministry, and then remember to visit us online at whitcombministries.org. And if you enjoy using Facebook, let me invite you to like our page at facebook.com slash Ministries for news, information, updates, and devotional material. Now, Dr. Whitcomb, here's today's question. What types of works can we do that would be considered gold, silver, and precious stones in terms of Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12? Wayne, this is so important. What must I do to qualify for a crown when I see Jesus right after the rapture of the church? Well, obviously, a pure life, humility, we know those virtues, faith, hope, and love, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, we, we need to have an inner life that is pleasing, a faithfulness in prayer. But, but there's more than that. Listen to what Paul said to his favorite disciple, Timothy. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. 2 Timothy 1.13 In the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You see, Satan and demons, the unbelieving world, wants to corrupt, destroy the precious treasure of God's revealed word in the Bible. So this is practically my life first, maybe yours too. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now here's the familiar verse. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, not just me, but Barnabas and others that I have had as co-workers, these, not just anything you like, or the simplest or easiest or most positive thoughts, everything I taught you. I mean, can you imagine the, the years they spent walking here and there, serving, preaching, teaching, the things that Timothy heard amazing amount of material here is assumed. These, the things that you heard from me among many witnesses, you entrust to faithful men, not just everybody. Well, what's a faithful person? Now, here's the definition. Who will be able to teach others also. Yes, the chain reaction. You teach so that somebody else can teach, somebody else can teach. And that's how it was, you remember, at the school of Tyrannus in Ephesus. Two solid years of faithful, diligent, in-depth teaching of the Word of God. The result, all day of Asia, the whole province of what is today western Turkey, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Isn't that an amazing statement, friends? Well, of course, that's the implementation, isn't it, of what Jesus said. Listen to what he said at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. He came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The Son of God is speaking to us here, friends. Go, therefore. Don't just sit there and entertain yourself, you see, or pamper yourself. Go and make disciples of what? Of all the nations, 
thousands of different culture, linguistic, uh, cultural units around this planet. All the nations doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the big one, folks. Teaching them, that's all nations now, to observe all that I commanded you. That includes the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament, the whole Word of God, the Bible. Well, you say, I can't do that. It's impossible. Yes, of course it is. But listen to this provision now. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It is not just you. It is I with you. I and you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul said to the Philippians. For it is God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. A synergism. God with us. We with him. And that, that, friends, is something special that God has provided for us, whereby we'll give an account, hopefully, at the judgment seat of Christ. Dr. Whitcomb, that is a great reminder of how our reverence for God's holy word and our obedience to the Great Commission are such vital parts of any works that we might do that will earn rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord will judge both the intentions and the actions of all Christians. So to help you prepare for that most important day, we invite you to join us at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. There you'll find years' worth of Dr. Whitcomb's materials that we've organized for you, including his sermons, lectures, and writings, and all the past editions of this radio program, all free for you to use or download at any time. God's Word is true from the beginning to the end, and we want to help you understand that Word. So please, join us again next week when we continue to look at our glorious future in Christ, here on Encounter God's Truth.